in worship this morning, we continue to seek guidance for uh, this world that we live in. And uh, it is always interesting to wake up uh, every day. We never know what the day will have, but I can guarantee you it will always be interesting. Uh, you know, there will be some good things that will happen. There will be some other things that uh, maybe not as good uh, that will happen. And, and we're always tasked with kind of answering uh, this question each and every day, or at least I think uh, we're tasked with answering this question each and every day, and that is, what is essential? What is essential for the day ahead? Uh, how many people are like my wife and you have a to-do list that you start the day with or you actually create it the next day and, and you have a list of things that you, you write down for each day? All right, quite a few of you. You know, uh, bless you all in that. Uh, I do not write a to-do list down, uh, in part because my list will become great. And we'll see what happens among us this morning. Uh, you know, but that's part of your way, a to-do list. One of the great things about it is it helps answer the question, what is essential for the day? Because we can get off track so easily. Can we not? We are distracted by lots of things. Some very good things, other not so good. Early on in the pandemic, this was posed, you know, what is essential? The essential services, you know? And there's still debate on whether or not uh, we answered that well. I don't know. I kind of liked some of the ways that we answered that. I kind of liked what was no longer deemed essential for me. Because it gave me this kind of sense of, I didn't have to worry about that, right? And that's the, that's the beauty of when we answer the question, what is essential, is it allows us to focus on the things that need to be focused on and allows us to kind of forget the things that don't need to be important. And, and we need, I think, at times to continue to answer this question. Because if everything is essential, nothing is essential. By definition, that it can't be that way. If everything is deemed essential, then nothing really is essential. And we could use this uh, framework uh, with others, you know, other things. You know, if everything is beautiful, really nothing is beautiful, because it's all the same. You know, if everything is perfect, nothing really is perfect. But there, if everything is good, then nothing will be as good. You know, if everyone can get A's like David, oh, is that a surprise that you get A's? <laughs> it was just a surprise that I used your name. Uh-huh. Don't worry, I'll get over to this side uh, in a little bit. You know, if, if everyone gets A's, then really A's don't matter. If everyone is as fast as Jordan in the pool, then no one's really that fast, right? Because we're all the same. This is part of what Paul is starting to get at the heart of as we look at Galatians 2. What is essential? What is the major items? And so we read these words in Galatians 2. After 14 years, 
There's debate whether 14 is from previous encounter or 14 years from his conversion. Um, I'm not sure it matters all that much, but I think it's more is 14 years after conversion. He went again, Paul says, I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas along with Titus. And I must I went in response to a revelation to communicate to the leaders the gospel I was proclaiming, so that I was not and would not be running in vain. Interesting here, because if you pick up Galatians 1, you, you get this sense that Paul is claiming, I'm independent, I'm independent, I don't belong to anyone. And, and some would say, well, now look, here is Paul just kind of a little kind of schizophrenic? Is he had a dark face, or is he a liar? The thing is, is independence for Paul was never the goal. It wasn't just about I, Paul. I, Paul. It was about the gospel. And he picks up here and, and, and he's trying to say, look, it's not about independence, but it's about what is essential to what's going on. Independence should never, as a person of faith, be our end goal. If your end goal of knowing Jesus is to proclaim your independence, you miss the gospel. It's easy for us to do, though, is it not? It's easy to see as essential to who we are as Christians, our freedoms. And those are important. Paul will highlight again and again the freedom. He even says it here. Part of what happened in that meeting, verse 4, was there was false brothers or those who snuck in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ. He talks about freedom. But never about freedom to do whatever we want to do. As we've been talking about uh, with the teenagers. Right, Jordan? Right? No? It's not about being able to do whatever you want. Paul says, you have the right to do anything. But not everything's beneficial. You have the right in Christ Jesus. But don't be conquered by anything. Even this idea of freedom and independence. Which is so much at our heart. That if we're not careful. We allow it to get in the way of the essentials of things. So if independence wasn't the issue Paul's arguing about here, what is, right? Why does he have this seemingly change going on in Galatians 2 all of a sudden? What is at his heart? What does he want to keep at the forefront? And we see it starting there in verse 2. I came to communicate to the leaders the gospel I was proclaiming. For him, church unity is the issue. And not just unity in the churches of Galatia, and unity of the churches of the Gentiles. We're at almost a pivotal, we're at a pivotal, but maybe a turning point for what could have been a breaking point in the church of Jesus Christ at this point in time. If you're picking up and reading our devotions, those of you in person, you have it on the back of your handout. Those of you online, if you go to our website slash devotion, you will, you will see this week, uh, you're going to be in the book of Acts a lot. Because I think the, these, this portion of Acts 10 and 11 uh, is what's happening right at the same time in Galatians 2. We see the church at a pivotal point. What does the gospel really mean? What is unity about? Is it about Jesus 
Or is it about being a Jewish Christian? And those two things, I'd say, are different. Because there are people, he says in verse 4, that have come in that were either snuck in or they, they found their way in. He calls them false believers who want to enslave. That whole, the whole goal of them was to say, you've got to be a good Jew to be a good Christian. And what Paul is at stake here is we can't have a Jewish church and a Gentile church and proclaim the same Jesus. It has to be the church of Jesus. Period. The church of Jesus has found in Jerusalem, maybe. The church of Jesus has found in Galatia and the Gentiles. But it must be the church. Capital C. Isn't it kind of nice that the church has always had issues? It means we haven't messed it up that much. And some are Because we have issues. Maybe not us here. But we have issues. Some of you have lived through the music debates of old, right? And I still get glimpses of them. Not here, but with, you know, with friends and family. You know, which one is better, hymns or contemporary? Jordan, which one's better? Hymns or contemporary? And by the way, there's no wrong answer. Go ahead. Which one, let me put it this way, which one would you prefer? Not hymns. Some of you just went, oh. Miss Barb, is it safe to say preference would be some of the old hymns? You like some of the new stuff, I know. Do what? And gospel. All right. Good stuff, right? Over the years, we have made theological debates over which one was the quote unquote right one. Which really was an issue of preference. Some contemporary songs are all. Some old hymns are all. Okay? Some old hymns, it's hard to pick up the tune and sing. Some new songs are hard to pick up the tune and sing. When we make either one our starting point, we will find scriptures and ways of what I would call theologizing to prove our point that we are right. And if we are right, they must be wrong. And you know what would solve the issue? If they just became me. Right? Because one way to have unity is for all of us to be the same. If we're all the same, it doesn't matter, does it? Is that true unity, though, if it doesn't matter because we're all the same? I love to say this, especially with couples counseling, especially with premarital counseling, because sometimes I get couples that come in and, man, they are in love. Some of you remember? Paul, you remember when you were in love with Maddie? You remember when you were in love? Not, not in love like today. It's different. Still are, uh-huh. <laughs> Those of you online, that's because he's in elbow reach with Patty with it now, you know? You know, but that infatuation where Patty could do no wrong. I know she still can't do any wrong to you. Alright? Those of us who work with her on Wednesday night, we would we would say, you're right, she's really good, but she could do wrong. You know. Uh, but 
But they, they think there's nothing I could ever learn about my spouse that would bother me. Uh, you know, sorry, Alicia, but there have been things I've learned about you that bother me. And you know what? There are things she has learned about me that really bother her. All right? We're not the same. And if we are the same, one of us is not necessary. My vote is her. Okay? Her vote ought to be me. If we're both agree 100% of the time, we're the same. We're not me. I think Pastor Paul and Sue gave that up for a reason. And Pastor Paul and Sue, you're watching us from here in Florida right now for the whole month of February. You know, we won't call you. You call us, we won't call you. Not as cold as here, I don't think. But you know, it'll warm up. You know, we get this idea. And sometimes in our present day, we do the same thing. We want us all to be the same. We have to look the same. We have to dress the same. We have to believe the same. We must go to the same type of church. And we see it within our churches. We fight one another over things that may be good, but aren't essential. We have to be careful. Paul comes to Jerusalem, and he meets with the brothers, James, Peter, and John. We read that in verse 9. James, Peter, and John. And they're asking, what does it mean to have unity as the gospel of Christ is expanding out? What is the essential message of the gospel? So Paul says, I came to them to communicate to them what I had been preaching. Not that he had to. He could have continued to go on but he did for the sake of church unity. And he does something that, you know, this is kind of the tongue-in-cheek of Paul, maybe. This is the wisdom of Paul, maybe. This is the audacity of Paul, maybe. He brings with him Barnabas. No big deal. Barnabas, a good Jew. Barnabas really helped solidify Paul into the early church to say, I've seen what the Lord has done for him. But then he brings this guy named Titus. Who, according to scripture, is a Greek? Which means what? He's not Jew. Because the struggle of the early church is how Jewish we need to be. In particular, the mark of being a good Jew was what? Circumcision. Because that meant God bless you. That meant you were a person of God because you were circumcised. So this isn't just some trivial issue in some regard. This is this is what it means to be in right relationship, to be in a covenantal relationship with God, is you had to be circumcised. And Titus, being Greek, was not. Why? Because to be a good Greek, you weren't circumcised. So Paul, in a pretty bold but simple way, forces the issue to be the issue. Okay? There's rumblings among some. That the Gentiles must be like us Jews. They must become like the nation of Israel in order to respond to Jesus. And Paul says, let's do it. Let's have a talk. Here's the, here's the gospel I proclaim. By the way, there's Titus right next to me. Are you going to force him to be circumcised or not? Can, can you say the gospel hasn't transformed this that every Jew would say is a pagan? 
who didn't know Jesus, he wasn't even a God-fearing one, by all accounts. Did the gospel transform him? Because if you say no, then we have a different and essential issue, do we not? But if you say the gospel has transformed him, then the argument for circumcision is not as big of a deal as we would like to think. And that's why Paul says here, he says, Titus, who was Greek, was not even forced or compelled to be circumcised. James, Peter, and John, in the presence of these spies or these false believers, was not forced to go that extra step. Because the essentials became the essentials. The gospel of Jesus was not about whether or not one then went on to be a follower of the law or not. The gospel of Jesus was about Jesus. It remains true to this day. It also reminds us this way, that true unity is diversity under Jesus. It's not diversity for diversity's sake. It isn't just, I'm going to be diverse just for the heck of it. It's because diversity is found under Jesus. Paul will say it again and again in his letters. That's why in Christ there is neither no Jew nor Greek. In this case, it is, there's no circumcised nor uncircumcised. There's only Christ. There's no slave nor free. There's no male nor female. There's only in Christ. That's the gospel. And that's what we need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of this because as he, he goes on, and he says things very diplomatically. See, because part of the issue the Galatians were running against was these Judaizers, these false teachers, these people came to them after Paul and said, hey, the leaders, the really important leaders of our day, meaning Jerusalem leaders, meaning James, Peter, John, they say you ought to do this. And so Paul says time and time again in here, but from those who are thought to be something, from those who appear to be leaders, he's not saying Peter and James aren't leaders. He's saying there are people who put them up so highly as if to tell you something different. Those people, one, added nothing to my gospel. Two, they appear to be leaders because God doesn't see faces. He sees faiths. You get that? God doesn't see faces. He doesn't see what you look like. He sees the faith that is underneath us. Uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, as he was going to anoint the next king, God told him, man looks at the outward appearance. We look at the face. What can we see? God looks at the heart, the faith. That's what every righteous person in every portion of the Old Testament had in common. It wasn't what they looked like. It was their faith, their belief. It was the heart issue. See, because you can look good and not know Jesus. You can look real good and not know Jesus. You could, according to the Old Testament, look very good Jew. You could be the best of the best Jew and still miss Jesus. In fact, the book of Galatians gives us one of those people who looked good according to the standards of the Jewish way of being and thought and life. 
according to the covenants of Moses. That was Paul himself. We didn't know Jesus until we knew Jesus. God looks at the faith, not at the face. What would that do if we kept that in the forefront? No wonder James says there is no favoritism among you. The rich being prepared to be like the poor, and the poor don't worry about being like the rich. It cuts at the heart, does it not? It cuts at the heart of who we are. God doesn't see who, it doesn't see the appearance, but he sees who we are on the inside. And we see, once again, time and time in this letter, that Peter and Paul are preaching that same gospel. Do they mess up at times? Absolutely. But they're preaching the same thing. The gospel of Christ is powerful enough to work in different contexts. The same message, different methods. The way Peter was proclaiming the gospel in a predominantly Jewish way of life is totally different than the gospel that Paul was proclaiming in a Gentile way of life. It had to be. They didn't have the same foundation. The message, as we see here, was the exact same. The method was not. This should be hopeful. This should lead us to praise Jesus. Because you know what? The gospel isn't just about one nation, is it not? It's about all nations. The gospel isn't just about people who look like me. It's about people who don't look like me. How I proclaim the gospel to them. The method must continually be reevaluated and possibly changed, but never the message. But we need to make sure that we're not marrying the method to the message. This is why we have missionaries. And one of the tasks of the missionaries is how can I take the gospel from whatever I'm used to into an environment of what I'm not used to? And that is hard work. But it's the same gospel. And the gospel is powerful enough to work in all things. See it here. It's, they say, we see that God was working, verse 8. For God was working through the apostle Peter to the Jews, also was working in me to the Gentiles. The same powerful. No wonder they couldn't add anything. And then they finally said, you know what? Let's, both, let's take up our contexts are going to be different, but our message is the same. Peter to the Jew, Paul to the Gentiles. Does that mean they never crossed paths? No. It wasn't saying, you stay here, I stay here, we let never meet the middle. It said, predominantly, I'm in this context. But if the gospel takes me here, I'm going to go here. Predominantly, Paul, you're in the Gentile context, but we know he talked to Jews. Why? Because he could. This is why Paul says the gospel is about being a Jew to the Jew and the Greek to the Greek. Different ways of being, same message. With the gospel is power enough to work in different contexts. And then we see this idea of community. We live in community, do we not? We live in a great community. For those of us who are in St. Paris and this champagne, that's a good community, right? Some of you online, you're in a different community. 
Others of you here are in general community. You know, Maha and, and that Northwestern people, Hooligans, or whatever you are up there. All right? Others of you in other places. We see here, though, this concept of community. Why did Paul go to Jerusalem? He didn't have to, but he wanted to be in community with his fellow brothers and sisters. He wanted to be in community, the Gentiles with the Jews. Intentionally. He wanted to have the Gentile churches help the Jewish churches in their time of need. You can only do that in community. And we see here that, it, that they talk about this community. And in verse 9, they gave to me, James, Peter, and John, the right hand of fellowship. Point of need. Fellowship, community, one with another. This wasn't just, as we typically do, just extend a handshake. This was a, a public proclamation that we're in this together. Through thick and thin, though we are different, we are in this together. Point of need. And that's why, one of the reasons why, I believe in a, a, a true church membership. It's one of the reasons when uh, Maya Newman this week came in, came to talk with me. She asked about church membership. And what is one of the things I try to do with all those seeking church membership? I kind of ask, what, what is Christ doing? Your, your Christ story. Sometimes I ask it better than others. But how is the power of God transforming you? Because see, that's the model here. It's not necessarily just, do you believe what I believe? That's good. But what I need to know is, do you have an expression, has Christ done something in you? Have you been transformed by the gospel? Because if you haven't, then we're not going to be unified in Jesus. Our beliefs, though, it helps us. If we're not careful, we allow some beliefs that are good, that are important, become the essential, and then we divide. And, they, and then, so when she asked, I asked her, I said, well, tell me your Christian story. And one of the things, uh, you know, I did ask permission to kind of share this. One of the things she uh, has experienced recently, within the last year, is the transforming power of love by God's people. You know who God's people are? You all. At a time when the enemy was trying to speak shame into her life, speak fear into her life, love overcame that. Overcame it in a powerful way that Ashley says, I want to be in koinonia with you, in community with you. Praise the Lord. Our love is there. We live in community, both locally but also globally. And we can't lose sight of that. We create community by serving. This is why they asked Paul, I think, in part, to remember the poor of Jerusalem. Remember their fellow believers who are poor. But I think it's also beyond that. Just the poor in general. See, it, it's harder to see someone as an enemy when you're serving them. It's hard to see them as not worthy of the gospel of Christ when you're serving them. I go back to Wednesday night, just because it, it's always fresh in my head. You know, but, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say Shannon and Patty didn't know each other very well before Wednesday nights, right? You knew each other. You didn't know each other. I mean, Patty and Joyce, they're two peas in some pod. 
you know, uh, you know, they get along, but even then, it's funny, right, Patty? Things Joyce will say that you just go, whatever, all right? And, and I knew Patty, and Patty knew me, but she didn't know me. Now, unfortunately, she knows me. She still loves me. That's amazing. That's the power of Christ, right there. All right? But when you are serving together, what easily could be a dividing line? No longer is as much of a dividing line. Does that mean Shannon and Patty believe the same things? <laughs> no she chance. She eats cranberries. She eats cranberries. How dare she? And if Patty needs cranberries, such an issue, guess what? Her and Shannon would not be in a relationship. And if Shannon made cranberries, such an issue, her and Patty would not be in a relationship. If Patty made us measure everything out to the actual teaspoon, we wouldn't be cooking together. And if we told Patty she can't use any measuring cups or spoons in order to cook, she would leave. Would you not, Patty? No, I'd just let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We would miss the portion that Patty has to give to us. If we make, make community all about sameness, we miss it. So who are you serving with? Those who serve carrying kitchens. I bet your attitude is changed not just with one another, but with those who serve. They're different. You may have known that to begin with, but there's different Who will you serve and how will you serve together? This is what Paul is arguing for, the early church is arguing for. Let us be a community by serving one another together. And Paul says, I was eager to do it again and again. We, we create community by being together. This is one of the unintended consequences of our world. Is we are, though we understand we are more global, we also try to be more isolated. We can. It's easy to be isolated. We didn't need a pandemic to teach us that. The whole pandemic highlighted that. And if we were already there, it just came out to the forefront. But we need to be together. Serving, learning, and loving one another. Which one of those? This is why I think the writer of Hebrews says, don't give up gathering together. And there are some of you watching online that you need to get your rear ends here, because you can't. There's many of you watching online who can't get here. Wait. You are still with us in community. It needs to be a both end. Some of us want to be isolated, and we go to great lengths to be isolated. That's not the gospel. The gospel didn't save you, so you can be your own little Christian over there. God saved you. The gospel saved you and put you in to community, whether you like it or not. And to not be in community is not showing our world the power of the gospel. We're shortchanging the gospel. The Gentiles needed the Jews. The Jews needed the Gentiles. And God said, you're all one. Transformed the meaning of the people of God. Because the gospel forms, reforms, and transforms communities. The gospel will create a community where we didn't think one existed. Really. Some of you here would not be in community with somebody else here who wasn't for church. Almost guaranteed. 
and vice versa. I mean, Jordan, would you really naturally want to be in the same place as Dan George? No? Dan, naturally, would you really want to be in the same place as Jordan if you weren't forced? Exactly. All right? Exactly. Okay? All right, let's just be honest. Unless we're related to him, how many of us really want to be in the same place as, as Jenny? <laughs> and some of us related are like, I don't want to be there. All right? Why? But that's the power of the gospel, is it not? That's the power where people who normally wouldn't be together realize that Jesus is more important than what separates us and can unify us. It's the gospel of Jesus. And so we must keep central the gospel of, in, and through Jesus. So that we proclaim to the world that whether you like old music or new music, whether you vote Republican or Democrat, by the way, there's probably both in this place, I think it's wonderful. Okay? Whether you're 90 some years old or nine months old or less. Or those that are still baby, like Jenna and Maya. We can be together. Whether you know how to do woodworking, there's three right in this section, or like me, you do your best, but you just call them for help and say thanks. Whether we have people who can preach and teach, and we have people who said, don't even think about picking me up. <laughs> what unifies us all? Jesus. What must be central to all? Jesus. Now, we need to be aware of things that are creeping up, as all is here. We can't just be ostriches and forget. But you know, sometimes, at the sake of trying to be pure to the gospel, we let make something bigger and more essential than is really essential. Does one have to be Baptist to be saved? Ask that question 30, 40 years ago, maybe no longer. The answer would have been yes. Does one could one be Catholic to be saved? Well, I mean, we're just now getting to the point where we can say there are many Catholic brothers and sisters in Jesus. You all know that, right? And not just in our town. You know, but others. Can you be Republican and, and know Jesus? Hope so. Can you be a Democrat and know Jesus? Hope so. Because you know what? What we have failed, I think, as many of times, is we made something else non-essential our essential identity instead of who Christ is as our essential identity. Does that mean we will disagree? Absolutely. But we should agree on the gospel. The gospel that is found in Christ alone, through Christ alone, and because of Christ alone, saves the world. So that whether you are rural or urban, live on the East Coast, West Coast, or in the fields of Africa. Whether you are conservative, middle of the road, or liberal. Whether you are vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether you think we ought to have ever had anything we 
done lately, or none of the things we've done lately, we can be one in Christ Jesus. That's our hope. That's our prayer. And that's the power of the gospel. Can you pray with me, Father God? I thank you for this time. This reminder of how wonderful of a Savior you are. Lord, and how easy it is for us to kind of get in the way of your gospel. Unintentionally, but get in the way of that. And so, Lord, may we keep essential the gospel of Jesus. May we keep essential your power to transform our lives and others. And may we keep essential the things that really are important. And may we learn to submit all things to Christ, even ourselves, so we can live in community with one another this day and every day. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.